The big term that's being used at the moment is a risk-based approach. How do you go from a, a one-size-fits-all, same process for every client, through to how do you really understand the risks that a particular client poses? Money makes a and welcome back to The Laundry, where we discuss AML, technology, and the fight against financial crime. I'm Fredrik, this is The Laundry, a podcast by Stride. Welcome to another episode of The Laundry. Today we'll be talking about the future of KYC, and with us we have Martin Walker from PA Consulting. Now, you work with data and analytics, and that's been part of, or a large part of your career this far, but it's also spanning KPMG, Nordea, uh, and also the KYC Utility Invidium project. Welcome to The Laundry. Great to have you here. Thank you very much. Good to be here. So first off, what is your focus these days? My focus is helping clients solve their KYC challenges, typically through the use of technology and um, a lot of work around remediation. So more the, the combination of the tactical side, how do we understand the problem through to the strategic side, which is what do we need to do to fix our processes, our technology, in order to get really transformative change to their KYC processes. Brilliant. And uh, when you say tactical issues um, or mapping out sort of the tactical issues, how do you actually go about doing that? The starting point is usually clients understand they've got a problem but they don't really understand the size and the scale of the problem. So the the starting point often is to say, well, what does compliant look like? Or what does good look like? Or what is good enough in your industry? And that typically starts off with understanding what are the policies, what are the processes, what are the procedures, and what are the standards you have for, for doing KYC. And then secondly, it's an analysis of the data to understand, of the customer data to understand what KYC data they've got and what the gaps are. And and thirdly, it's then looking to say, well, where are the gaps in your process that you have today? How do we then go about helping you prioritize what order you should do things? Because you've got a combination of you, the, the customers may have got a, a backlog in in their data. They may have got some fundamental um, shortfalls in their processes, such as around how they onboard data or how, how they onboard customers or how they do ODD. And it's just like, where do you actually start? Mm. Should we be offboarding customers? Should we, should we be changing our onboarding process? Should we be doing a remediation of our KYC data? Where should we start? And it's all about helping the, the clients kind of slice the elephant in understanding what it, what is it they've got and what order do you do things. And when slicing that elephant, what part of the elephant do you usually find to be uh, the, most, uh, the most common problem these companies have? I think the starting point is often what is good enough. You can have a policy that is very high level that says what, what should be done. But then when you get down to the operational level, you've always got the conflict between the commercial reality, which is we want to onboard as many customers and have as many profitable customers as possible, versus the the compliance processes, which is, well, what kind of KYC do we need to do on those customers? And how do we create a, a very smooth customer experience in the meantime? It's KYC is it's, it's obviously a necessity for from a society point of view and from a legal point of view, but it adds a number of extra process steps that are in, often seen as inconvenient for both the customer and for the 
financial institution. So it's about how do you get the balance of what is enough that you need to do that doesn't turn the customer away, or you can explain to the customer why you're doing it, but at the same time ensures that you're doing the right thing as mandated by law and your responsibilities as part of the financial infrastructure. Absolutely. Do you think there's a competitive advantage to be had there, though? Now that more companies are ne- are needing to be regulatory compliant, meaning that if you're really good at your KYC, uh, you you actually end up with a winning position as opposed to the companies who lack sort of the the processes to support fast onboarding. I think there's a combination. There's a competitive edge from a one is you if you want if you can give a smoother client experience as possible then there is a competitive edge and how you look at your processes and your technology will give you a competitive edge in that area. And likewise, the, as we look at more ESG and the environmental, kind of the social responsibilities, particularly the social, if, if, if you look at the reaction, for example, around how large corporates have behaved during the, the Ukraine war, the consumer opinion if you're seen to be having the wrong customers, that can do your brand a lot of damage. So I think by understanding your customer and making sure you're doing business with the right customers will give you competitive advantage. If you get that wrong, that can do your brand no end of damage. So I think in the short answer is yes. We're definitely aligned on that part. Hi, I'm William and I work as a software developer at Strice. We observe that existing KYC software is often incomplete, hard to navigate, and it's not built for team collaboration. As a developer at Strice, my primary mission is to change this. The tech team at Strice purely focuses on making software that is easy to use and where teams across your organization can easily collaborate to keep your customer's journey moving forward fast. Want to trial how easy it is to use the Strice platform? Sign up for five days trial today. Now, how did you end up actually working with financial crime and, and working in the realms of KYC? If I think back to my career way, way back when, when I was when I was in the UK, my, I had my first experience of working with KYC, which was because I worked for an audit firm. Whenever we used to onboard customers, we had to do a very thorough KYC process. So it was before it was um, it was long before the HSBC scandals uh, around the Deferred Prosecution Act <laughs> and so on. This was just par for the course as to how we needed to, to do business as an audit firm. And then I remember we we did a first project for one of the big global banks in the UK back in what it must have been 2007, 2008, where they they realized that they needed to, to sort their KYC processes out. And we were brought in to help them because we had that experience of being an audit firm and how we had to do KYC there. And then more recently, I, I came across, I started working KYC in more earnest when I left Nordea when I joined Inverdom. Brilliant. And uh, how have you seen AML, KYC and compliance sort of evolve or, uh, throughout the years that you, you've been working with it? It's funny because if I look in the, the UK, the UK is a very prescriptive is a, is a very prescriptive culture that says you must do this, you must do that. And, and as a simple example, if you look at the COVID restrictions in the UK, it was you can have two families together but they're allowed to meet outside but not inside but you can have but you, you, there's a maximum of eight people but no more than 10 people and it is very very super prescriptive and whereas in sweden there were half a dozen guidelines mm. and it's a very similar thing with the with kyc and and, and regulations as in the uk put out by the the fsa 
you get quite prescriptive guidelines around what you need to do from a financial crime at KYC AML perspective. But in Sweden, it's a lot more open and guideline based, even though we still have kind of a global set of regulations or a European set of regulations. As the, the Nordic countries have been, I guess, sucked into the, the, the AML crisis through, through the Baltics, there's been this, the expertise to help the Nordic countries solve their problems has come from the, typically from the UK and prior to that, maybe even the US and taking their experience and bringing it into the Nordic culture. And there's a bit of a cultural shock mm. because the UK way for compliance is very box, I would say box ticking, but it's very prescriptive in what you have to do. And the, the Nordic way is a lot more trusting and open to individuals. So I think the Nordics is having to take on a lot more, they're, they're having to find that the happy medium between what level of prescription do you need to do and and getting a lot more command and control type processes in place to make sure people actually follow those processes, which is more of an Anglo-Saxon culture. So I'm seeing a, a lot of change in mindset or a, a big cultural change in the Nordic banks as, as they have to adapt to more of this prescriptive approach. Brilliant. Super interesting. And, and sort of the trends for KYC, what are you seeing now? What, what, what's happening uh, in the KYC realm these days that will affect the future of it? The, the big term that's being used at the moment is a risk-based approach. So how do you go from a, a one-size-fits-all, you must follow the standard process and the same, same process for every client, through to how do you really understand the risks that a particular client poses? And how do you then put in the right level of due diligence into those clients? And when you just look at the volume, the complexity of many of the entities that you deal with, the, the global nature of them, and the amount of data that's out there, it's about how do you use the, the data that's available mm. in order to become more effective in your analysis of the customer. Because if you just rely on human beings to go through and do things manually, you're just going to drown and you're not going to be effective. So it's about picking the, the right customers to, to aim at and then using data in a smart way to get the insight into those customers. Yeah, we, we see that a lot as well with, the, with some of the clients we work with, with the, the lack of data in, in during especially the onboarding phase uh, turning out to be a huge problem further down in the value chain as sort of, for example, the, the transaction monitoring comes into play. Uh, but you have no way of differentiating what type of clients to prioritize first or what kind of flags you should prioritize first. Using external data, we see huge potential in sort of the, the way a future KYC set up from, from a data perspective, I mean. But I'm, I'm curious to learn sort of in, in your mind, what does the future of KYC hold? I think that if you if you were to look at how the how, how data is used by, if you can say, social media companies and how they, they really have a good understanding of their customers and they've identified the key data points and they look at the customer behavior, they have advanced insight into their customers. And I think that's where the banking world is going to be going and the KYC world is going to be going is saying, how do we bring together that data, which is a combination of the external data combined with the, the transaction patterns mm. to build up a really good understanding of our customers and then identify which ones of them are potential criminals versus which ones are normal business activity. And the challenge with that is the quality of the data. Mm. 
just in my time at Inverdom, the Nordic KYC utility, we're looking to understand how do you how do you essentially map and understand what data is available in the different Nordic corporate registers and how do you get access to that data? Mm. And they all have slightly different data models, i.e. they have they store different data and it's all stored in a slightly different format. And getting in some cases you can get hold of the data for free, in other cases you have to pay for it. It's it's the quality of the data that is the is the single biggest challenge that financial institutions have in making sense of their customers. And it's about how do you understand where the limitations in in the data quality is. Absolutely. And and we're pretty privileged sort of living in Nordics when it comes to data access as well, as opposed to a lot of other countries. And and still we have a problem as well trying to map this all the different sources and make sense of it. At, at Strives, we've uh, we've done ex- <coughs> excessive work on sort of mapping out the same and and tying all these data sources to the knowledge graph, which we use as the base technology for the entities, meaning the the persons and and the companies. But still, we see that even though sort of from a technological standpoint, we we feel we have a a solution now that that really fits sort of the fits a lot or sort of solves a lot of the problems but it's super interesting to learn more on the data implementation side from a project perspective because i know you've worked a lot on implementing different uh, data uh, data systems uh, through your career as well what do you see as sort of the biggest challenges in implementing new technology in these big companies i think there are a few things if you just start off from from a data point of view let's just say as part of a onboarding process we want to pre-populate some customer fields when you're onboarding a customer. So you can, let's just say, they, they can enter their company name, for example, and then you can provide their address, the, you can provide their telephone numbers, contact details, and so on. The starting point is, depending on how many countries you are, or what, which um, countries the customers can come from, will depend on the number of sources you need to integrate. So just as a very simple example, if I want to enter a, a postcode in the UK, then I'd need to go and integrate a UK postal code system. If I want to enter a postcode in Sweden, I'd need to integrate into a Swedish system. So as as corporate organizations start wanting to offer services to more and more global customers, so the data integration challenge becomes greater. And as part of that, you then need to say, well, how, kind of, how do we validate the data that we're getting from these customers? How do we validate whether the beneficial owner is who they say they are? And as you say, in, in the Nordic sources, we've got a lot more open data. We have beneficial ownership registers, whereas if you go to, to, to many other countries, that data is either not available or it's very, very difficult to access. So the actual practical side of integrating building the integrations to all of these different sources and then saying, how do I map a postcode in the UK or a zip code in the US to a standard field? It just takes a lot of work to do because you need to have it. When you when you build a system, you need to have a sort of almost perfection when it comes to those data mappings. When a human does it, they can use their common sense mm. to adapt something. So they can do a random lookup and go and say, well, in this case, I can go and look up the data from X, Y, and Z. But you you need to create rules for all of that in systems. It's those last 
you want to say 20% of rules can get very, very complicated. Or you use AI machine learning, of which you still need the base data to learn from in order to predict what the answer is. So it's the, I'd say it's the, again, the breadth of data that makes the implementation of the system difficult. And then the second part is the actual people and process mm. of getting people to change how they think and working in a new way is extremely challenging as well. Absolutely. Do you find there's a lot of pushback from sort of internal stakeholders in different departments within these companies that makes uh, implementation of new technolo- technological solutions yeah, take more time than it actually needs? You've, you've got a multitude of factors involved there. If you just look at the, the first line in a bank, you've got first line who, who want to do as much business as possible. And then you've got sort of second line in the compliance team whose job it is to make sure the first line are doing the right business and they're continually will be looking to put more controls in place so so straight away just there on a before you involve any technology you've got a you've got a conflict that is all that, that is always there then you bring in the the technology side and you've got the IT team where you've got people who are at, attached to previous systems and you talk about changing out new systems so they may may feel jobs at threat um, they may not used to be used to change. So you've, you've got a, a real multitude of challenges around implementing new regulatory technology, which brings together a whole set of different conflicts. And how you manage that is very, very complicated. Let's not pretend this is a straightforward job. It's a very, very complicated job. Absolutely. But still, what, what would your top tips be for companies that has these challenges? And, and still, since it's... Uh, since there's a lot of different departments uh, and different stakeholders that needs to be convinced and all aligned, how, how do we go about actually getting everybody on, on board? I think you need to start, again, it comes up with the, the good old fashioned, it's the requirements, it's the business case. What, it, what is the problem we're trying to solve? And from a compliance side of things, what is the right standard that we need? If you don't have a data standard up front, you can throw all the technology at it and you're going to get you're not going to get very far so i'd say it all starts off with having a, a good kyc standard that has been bought into by the business that says this is going to be kind of, we can work with this and it's bought into by compliance to say this is going to get get us to a place of regulatory safety and and when you say kyc standard you mean the actual platform that the, no, the, no. I, I mean literally a document, mm, okay. a document that says for these different types of entities, these are the data points we need. This is how we need to do any verification. Yeah, this is what we need to do in order to to verify the data that we've got from the customer. These are the timelines within which we need to do operational due diligence and thinking about the KYC as a process. So it starts off from kind of the onboarding through to the operational due diligence through to the offboarding and how that looks as a whole. I think if you if you go straight into the technology implementation and you don't have agreement on what that process and what the standard looks like behind that process, you're going to run into a lot of problems. Interesting. And um, one of the key elements or, or key phrases we, we see a lot now is this continuous KYC and inherent perpetual KYC as an integral part of sort of the entire life cycle. First off, what is your take on what a perpetual KYC system is and and how do we get into actually implementing and and having that set up? So my take on perpetual KYC is it is when the KYC process is able to receive appropriate alerts to changes to an entity and 
being able to make smart decisions around what that means. So what I mean by that is there could be a change to a company's address. They may move from one street in another to Stockholm. Within Stockholm, it's like, okay, that's interesting, but that doesn't change the, that, that probably doesn't change the risk rating of mm. the customer. Whereas there could be another one that is the ownership has changed and there's a new UBO. Therefore, that should that does need to change the, the risk rating or it, it requires an action to be taken. And part of the, the perpetual KYC is then identifying what is that action that should be taken and how do we automate that action as much as possible. So in the case of a new, used to say a new UBO is identified and we've identified that because um, Bolux Verkit has told us that a new there's a new UBO within a company, then as part, we should then be able to have an automated process that, that, that then contacts the customer and says, we understand that you have a new UBO, would you like to tell us more? Can you provide us the information? And we should be able to do that as light touch as possible. So with as minimum uh, in as automated way as possible. And, and the key thing there is about understanding, well, a few things. One is, well, where does the risk change? So what combination of events that come through internal data, i.e. transactions or external data, contributes to a risk change or, or the, require, the requirement for the for the bank to mm. do something or the financial institution to do something that's what i think of as being perpetual kyc brilliant and what are the inherent challenges about such a setup i think it's carrying on from from the, the previous theme which is what are those combinations mm. that require an intervention and, and and being able to identify again kind of using the example of moving from one street to another in stockholm is if they move from a high risk area or a low risk area in Stockholm to a high risk area, or they move, one example could be, they move their headquarters from a perfectly respectable building to a building that's been flagged as having a high number of corporate mailboxes and therefore raises a potential risk flag. How do you actually get that data and how do you assess whether that is a, a material change that requires intervention? And depending on the customer type, whether for one type of customer, whether that is a high risk change, but for another customer, it may be a low risk change. So I think it's that combination, it's that risk model mm. that sits in the middle that is able to interpret those different data changes and say, which are the ones that are material that we need to do something about. Yeah. Challenge number one is that risk model. And then the second is getting the actual data. How, what are those data sources? You can get your the data from your transaction monitoring systems, but then those external data changes, where do you source the data from that is reliable enough that you can make those kind of decisions on? Brilliant. So what are your top three tips for anybody wanting to get their KYC set up in order and are just starting out now? I think number one is understand what the immediate chat what what are the challenges that you're facing and, and recognize where you are today a lot of organizations aim kind of they could be at level one maturity and they're aiming for level five maturity they're trying to shoot for the stars and get to that utopia utopian place straight away so i think it's number one is understand where you are i think number two is around you, you need to get that standard agreed as i mentioned and say how what what should our KYC AML processes look like and uh, and get some form of agreement on that process and then I think the third part is then coming up with a realistic plan as to how we're going to get 
from A to B. What mm. are those priorities? So we need to make sure that, it, again, it's, it's slicing the elephant. It's working out how do you put it into manageable chunks and how do you get the right stakeholders in place in order to, to govern that change? Great, great answers. And um, lastly, I wanted to ask for, for the companies who actually have a good KYC slash AML set up today, but are looking to make this even more uh, sort of built for the future. What, what's the one thing, what's the one advice you'd like to give them? I think there's always opportunity for improvement. It's about how do you how do you use your data in a smart way in order to improve your combination of operational efficiency and your operational effectiveness. The effectiveness being how well are you how well are you identifying the criminal activity and the operational efficiency is with what level of effort are you doing that. So I think it's thinking about those two axes and saying whereabouts are we on them? What can we do to continue to move the dial? to move up the efficiency and effectiveness sort of axis. Absolutely. Well, Martin, it's been brilliant talking to you today. This uh, 30 minutes just flew by. I'm uh, super excited to talk to you again on a later point. Thank you very much. It's been a fun discussion. Yeah.